So I want to continue to speak this morning, uh, just carry on the subject uh, that uh, Pastor was preaching about last week where he said, you know, preparing a resting place for the Holy Spirit. And so I, uh, I thought, well, prepare a place, but we want to maintain a place as well. And um, uh, if I had, I haven't got an outline for you today, but if I was to title the message, it would be maintaining the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so uh, I want to carry on and cover some ground that Pastor uh, looked at last week, but I just want to look at it from another angle and a little bit more in depth um, as the God's uh, shown me this morning. So we want to do that. Uh, Father, I just commit the time once again into your hands. I submit myself into your hands. We thank your Holy Spirit here that you are the teacher of the church. You're the one who reveals truth. Father, you're the one that brings revelation. And so, Lord, we just hand this word over to you right now. We ask you to minister as you would like this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, so preparing and maintaining a place for the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, you know, and I, one of the interesting things that came through the conference and Pastor emphasized it again last week is that we shouldn't just be waiting for God to do something all the time. That we have a, uh, a role to play regarding how much of the Holy Spirit we receive. And that's really what I want to talk about to, this morning. Before I do that though, I felt it would be just worth going over and explaining a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Pastor touched on it last week, but it is such an area. He is such a um, misunderstood person within the body of Christ that I, I thought, well, you know, let's just establish this right now so we all, all clearly understand. Uh, many of you, you know these, these truths, but um, I just quickly want to um, review with this. In the Holy Spirit was present firstly in the Old Testament, and he was what they call with them. He was with them. From time to time, as God willed, the Holy Spirit would turn up. And we read, don't we, that uh, the lives of uh, Moses, uh, Abraham, David, Elijah, they were, had visitations by the Holy Spirit to divinely empower them to achieve something that God wanted to achieve. That was the Holy Spirit with. We read in, um, we read in Judges 3.10 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. Now, this was talking about a chap that I'm sure not many of you have heard about. His name was Othniel, and uh, Israel was in a backslidden state. And God said, we can't have this any longer. So he appointed a man. In this case, his name was Othniel, and he went to war. God gave him the victory, and Israel turned around. And as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon that man, they then had 40 years of peace. And that's, we see a pattern of this throughout the Old Testament. Then we also see in the Old Testament signs all the way through the Old Testament pointing to Jesus and what was going to happen when Jesus came and the new birth, salvation for believers. Ezekiel, prophesying in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, he says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from your heart, I'll remove, sorry, from you, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. And of course, this was fulfilled uh, in Jesus Christ. He made it possible. Uh, Romans 8, 9 and 11 says this. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So here we're seeing the spirit living within us. Old Testament, he was with them from time to time. When we get born again, he comes and lives inside of us. That's the spirit within. Okay, the spirit with, the spirit within. Ephesians 1, 13, 14 confirms this. It said, says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So he comes in as a deposit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It guarantees our salvation. We receive this, of course, when we're born again. And... Um, He's in us to lead us, to guide us, to reveal truth to us, to teach us for fellowship, for friendship, and obviously to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That comes from the Spirit that is within. Okay, now, 
Yet Jesus promised one more thing. He said, there's going to be the Spirit upon you. The Spirit upon you. Right throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see Jesus. You know, John came and baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We see this referenced. And in Acts 1.8, it puts it like this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What are you receiving? You're receiving power. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about power. Fruit of the Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit within. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is about power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So he's, he's, he's foretelling this to the disciples. He said, wait here until this happens. He said right throughout the Gospels, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and power. A Holy Spirit and fire in some cases. And then it happened. In Acts 2.4, it actually happened. This is the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.4, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay? Now, they weren't too sure. A bit like the church today, I think, still after all these years. Not too sure about the Holy Spirit. And, um, but anyway, they knew what had happened to them, and they were operating in this. But then after a little bit of time, we read this in Acts chapter 11, verses 15 to 17. This is after Peter had been ministering with Cornelius' house. These are Gentile people, not Jewish people. And the thought to them that the Holy Spirit could come to non-Jewish people really probably had never crossed their mind. But we read here as Peter comes back to Jerusalem and gives an account to the, uh, to the other apostles. And he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. As he had come on us at the beginning, talking about Pentecost. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so God gave them the same gift. It is a gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to think that I could oppose God? So we see here, the Holy Spirit was given. It was a gift. And this is on top of above of the indwelling Holy Spirit's presence. And you know why he was given? For power, because we need him. We need that power if we're going to be a relevant church, if we're going to be relevant Christians. Our God is just so stirring me on this. Paul confirmed it, didn't he? In 1 Corinthians 2.4, he said, My message and my preaching, my message and my preaching are not just with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And he confirmed this uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 20. He said, for the kingdom of God is not just a matter of talk, but of power. It's power. He's given a supernatural ability, right? Firstly, to be a witness. Back to 1A, Acts 1a. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. But also for Christian service, for Christian ministry, right? To bless others, to operate in the gifts, basically to demonstrate the kingdom of God we need power to be able to do that Jesus relied on this exact same power he did nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts 10 38 it says this God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him Jesus anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power anointed some of you might think, well, what does anointed mean? Um, and uh, there are a number of meanings for anointing. But in this case, I found the best definition I can think of it is, is that what I would call a divine enablement. A divine enablement to demonstrate God's love and God's power. That's what the anointing does. It's more than something that we can't do ourselves. Okay, now the same Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus to do good has come upon us to do that same work. We are anointed by him to extend the kingdom and furthering the kingdom. John 1, 2, 20 says this. He said, but you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is power. Power is the Holy Spirit. The two go together. They're inseparable. And Jesus said this. He said in John 14, 12, he said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to be with the Father. All the time he's saying to them, you're going to get baptized with this Holy Spirit. He knew, he knew, I'm, I'm going. But when you've got him, you'll be able to do everything that I've done and more because you've got the rest of the time, the dispensation of time to do it. 
So, how do we do the works of Jesus? It's all through the Holy Spirit. Say, I'm anointed. anointed. I've received power power. to do the works of Jesus. Jesus. Amen. Now, here's the key. Like a gift of salvation, while it's freely available, we have to receive it. We have to receive it. And unfortunately, there are many Christians and churches that think the Holy Spirit's irrelevant. They don't encourage it and teach it. We don't. We're there. We embrace it because we know we need it. Okay. We need to receive him. And not only do we need to receive him, we need to maintain him. Prepare the resting place and then foster his presence in our lives. We need to stay filled with the spirit. We need to. And I know this. Um, I know this. This is a, the, the, the deal for this is on us. Because John 3.34 says that God gives the spirit without limit. So it's on us to stay filled. And I know this from my own experience, not just from the word. I mean, I, I know what it's like to minister under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit and to do it in my own strength. Now, God's given many of us natural skills and abilities, and we can do a certain good job up to a certain level. But you'll never get the breakthrough. You'll never, the power will never be released if you're, not, if you're only doing it in your own strength, not the strength of the Spirit. And I've done both. I'm guilty. Now, I'm not backslidden. Don't panic. But I've, I, have, I, have, I, have, I have been in places where I've just felt and known their power. But we can get complacent. We can even get lazy if we don't foster it. I want to talk, this is what I want to talk about this morning, how we can just maintain this thing in our lives. I'm challenged because I've let it go from time to time. When I first got saved, I was just, God touched me in such a powerful, powerful way. And I was just, every day, I was reading the Bible. I was spending time. I was talking to God. No, no, not so much praying. Just, God, who are you? Oh, wow, wow, God. I was just besotted by him. I was absolutely in love. And, 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 the, and the joy that I, that I found, God, that he was real, a creator who loved me and knew me. It was, it was, just, it was just amazing in my life. And, uh, and I, uh, I, uh, I, straight away, I had to tell people about it. And I remember once, I uh, uh, was, uh, had a whole lot of mates and I came out of a you know, secular, <laughs> worldly environment. And they used to always go down the pub on a Saturday afternoon to watch a bit of sport and have a few bets and, and, and drink a few beers. And um, so I went down there as normal to join them. And I just knew Christian, all right, a bit of grace. And, uh, and uh, anyway, I'm down there and uh, they'd heard that I'd become a Christian. And so they started, after a few drinks, after a few drinks, they started to get a little bit brave and they started having a go at me and uh, teasing me a bit. And then, uh, and, uh, and I said, well, you don't, know what you, you don't understand what you don't even know what you're talking about. You, you're, you're criticizing something you don't understand. And then one of them made the silly mistake of saying, oh, go on then, tell us. <laughs> and I tell you, I was so full with the Holy Spirit because I'd spent so much time with him. I was prayed up. I'd been in the word. And I tell you, I said, I said, okay, well, here's the story. We didn't come from apes. And I started to share the gospel. I said, there is a God. Where do you think we came from? And I said, and the thing is this, you've all sinned, we've all done, and I started to share the gospel. And I got more vocal, and this is in a, in a crowded pub situation. People from other tables are starting to look over. What's going on? And I started doing a preach, it's like having a church service. And, the, and it was like one of those round leaner things. They're all standing up, and there are jugs of beer everywhere on it. And, and, and anyway, and, I, and I, got, I got quite animated. And then I could see the, the, the guys are getting more restless. More getting more restless, and I could see. Actually, I know I didn't understand at the time, but now I can see what it was. It was the demons that were starting to freak out in there, man. And um, and uh, next thing I know, there's like, oh, we and they were starting to react and they were starting to shuffle, and it was just became chaos. Next thing, there's beers flying over the tables, going there, there's chairs falling over. It was like like a riot in there, and I'm going. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. And then it's sort of everybody dispersed. They all got uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit convicts, you see. When you're anointed, the Holy Spirit's backing your words. If you're not anointed, no Holy Spirit backing your words. Not my words. It's the power of God. I've seen it. And yet I've been in other situations, I can sadly say, where I've done the same thing and it's gone absolutely flat. There's been no power, no effect. They've just looked at me like I'm some idiot. And, and, and I'm thinking, God, I know the difference. I know which one I want. And so that's what I'm talking about. It just doesn't happen. God wants it to happen, but we have a role to play. We have a role to play. And, uh, you know, from that time, by the way, uh, you know, uh, I mean, no one got on their knees and gave their heart to the Jesus right then. But the, the thing was, from then, I had a different respect from them. 
And from then they all, you know, they, there was no more ribbing. You know, maybe a little bit now, they call me the reverend and things like that. But, you know, <laughs> you know but they were being pretty good. And I had further chance to actually go on one-on-one and take them all through the Gospels at various times. So praise God. Anyway, we need to stay filled. We want to live in that place of being filled. Ephesians 5.18 says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the, and, the, and the tense of that, of, the, of, that, of that being filled with the Spirit is a continuous one. So it's be continuously filled with the Spirit. Okay? Now, just as, um, you know, if you're getting drunk in the natural, um, the booze can wear off. If you want to stay drunk, you've got to keep drinking, don't you? Well, it's the same. The Holy Spirit, you've got to stay drinking from Him. A lot of people stay drinking, you know, so that they, um, that, to avoid their reality, don't they? We, they, they, they use it as, a, as an escape. We need to stay drinking to bring heaven's reality, okay, into situations, into the lives, the environments, the atmospheres that we're in. That's why we need to stay drunk, drunk in the Holy Spirit, amen? Okay, it can wear off, that's the point. Now, we read through, if you read the book of Acts, it's, it's written in chronological order. So you're seeing the accounts. It's a wonderful book to read about the move of the Holy Spirit and how these guys started to develop and grow in it and reveal his ministry. So we, we got up to chapter 11 there where Peter was telling about Cornelius' home. Well, move on to chapter 13. This could be six months later. It could be a year, two years later. I don't know the actual time frames, but it certainly was some time later. And this is what they say. And the disciples had been ministering at Antioch. Okay, and once again, preaching the gospel, getting a various response. That doesn't matter. We're just fulfilling God's duty. And they got a varying response. And um, when they finished, they'd been given a hard time. And sometimes can happen with our faith. And this is what they said in Acts chapter 13, verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. They were filled again, if you like. So they were, here we are, staying filled is the point I'm making. We see this example in the book of Acts. They'd been filled at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And here we see them receiving a fresh infilling. Now, the Spirit renews us, it enables us, invigorates us to be able to live victorious living. How do we stay filled? How do we stay filled? It's not complicated, and I'll really, as I say, it's not a complicated message. Well, let's go back firstly to Pastor's message from last week uh, and look at the things that can hinder, firstly. Uh, Paul, um, the pastor spoke last week, remember, about wooing the Holy Spirit or shooing him. Well, we want to woo him, don't we? We want to woo him. So, Things that are going to shoo him, however, we learn in uh, Ephesians that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We learned in First uh, Thessalonians that we can quench the Holy Spirit. And uh, also in uh, the book of Acts, we looked, at, we looked at how we can resist the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be doing those things, church. You know, that's what church is. Church is religion without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who brings the life and brings the power. Okay, so we run the risk of repelling the Holy Spirit or attracting him, wooing or shooing. So let's have a look at these a little bit more. Um, we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, and it says, Do not grieve and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, what are the things that can grieve the Holy Spirit? We look at the very next verse. That was verse 30. In verse 31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, quarreling, and every form of evil speaking. So these are the things, these are some of the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. It's been set out quite clearly for us there. Bitterness, rage, anger, quarreling, evil speaking. You might say, well, what is evil speaking? Well, evil speaking, lying, backbiting, putting people down, disrespect, gossip, slander, all those things could be termed as evil speaking. And you know what happens? If you grieve somebody, you upset somebody, the normal reaction is that they withdraw. That is normally what's happened. That's normally what happens. They withdraw. And, um, and the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. And while he'll never leave us, he can withdraw his active presence from our lives. Make no mistake about this. Once again, I'm not just saying this from the word. I've experienced it, okay? And uh, if we keep grieving him and keep ignoring him, he will withdraw. Now, let me give you an example. 
Married people here will certainly understand this, but I'm sure everybody will. If uh, you have a, an argument with your wife, your husband, okay, maybe said something hurtful, uh, got angry, it's time to go to bed. Well, you go to bed, you're in the same bed, but, you know, she's on one side, back to him, he's on the other side, back to her, big gap down the middle, who's been there? Who knows what this is like? <laughs> big gap down the middle, they're both giving each other the cold shoulder, okay? They should be embracing each other, but no, they've withdrawn from each other, okay? And, um, and uh, are they still married? Yes. Do they still love each other? Well, yes, we'd hope to think so. Of course they do. But are they in close communication? Are they connecting? No, they're not. And that's what it's like with the Holy Spirit. We're still married. He still loves us, but he withdraws. He withdraws, okay? And, you know, in a situation like that, is there going to be any intimacy in the natural? You bet not. You've got to be kidding. It ain't happening. It's the Holy Spirit wants to be intimate with us, close to us. And if we grieve him, ain't happening. It ain't happening because we've grieved. We've grieved him. He's present, but it's not the active present that we need. The power that we need. Why would we want to grieve him? Why would we want to hurt him? Why would we want to jeopardize our, our relationship with him? No, we should want to please him. That's the opposite. The antonym of grieve is please. So we should, well, we should want to please our spouses. We should want to please the Holy Spirit. And uh, so what pleases him? Well, we read in the very next verse. So it says in verse 30, it says, do not grieve. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, quarreling, and every form of evil speaking. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. You see, this is love. Holy Spirit is attracted to people who walk in love. So let's not grieve him. We don't want to do that. And let's not quench him. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, do not quench or suppress or subdue the Holy Spirit. Now, the word quench in the Greek means to extinguish. Okay? It means to put out, to muffle, to pour water on, to douse the fire. And in fact, the NIV version says, do not put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. we want to stay on fire for God, we've got to be careful not to quench that fire. You know, there are born-again believers today uh, that, that love the Lord, that certainly are on their way to heaven, there's no doubt about that, but they've quenched the Holy Spirit by not allowing Him to move in their lives as He wants to do. Main thing, I, I thought, well, what does quench really mean in, in reality, in day-to-day -day things? What, what are we talking about? I tell you, I, I've come to this conclusion. I think it is not listening to Him. I think that's when we quench and We ignore Him. When we, we don't listen to Him, we don't respond to it. That is to quench. When we ignore and overlook his leadings, there will come a time, then actually if we do it long enough, we actually become oblivious to it. And that's a very dangerous place to live. So we can grieve, we can quench him, but we can also resist. Now, from Acts uh, 7.51, you always resist the Holy Spirit, was the scripture that we looked at last week. Now this is from uh, Stephen, when he had... Uh, had uh, been talking to the Jewish leaders of the day. It actually says in verse 6, verse 8, he said that Stephen was full of God's grace and power. And he did great wonders and miracles. That's what comes with the power. Great wonders and miracles. He's done these amazing things. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they couldn't stand this. So they brought him in for questioning. And if you want to read, it's just a wonderful, wonderful dissertation. Read Stephen's uh, discourse in, in, in Acts chapter 7. It is just inspiring how he explained to them from Moses and the prophets. But at the end, and he was full of the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 56. He was full of the Holy Spirit. The power was on him. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is working with you. He is convicting the Bible says he came to convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Those people are without excuse. The Holy Spirit was there ministering to them. They just chose to ignore. They resisted. Okay? And he, um, and, uh, he said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. He was pointing to their stubbornness. Okay? Their refusal to change. We've got to be careful of that too, church. Okay. 
So we can resist him. Paul also had an interesting case when he was under house arrest in, in Rome near the end of his ministry. And we, record, we, uh, we read in Acts chapter 28, verses 23 and 24. This is Paul. He was from morning till evening. He explained and declared to them the kingdom of God. And he tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Now, you, we know that the Holy Spirit was there convicting them, drawing them. But they chose. They hardened their hearts. They said, we're not going to believe. And at those who would not believe, chose to reject the truth. They hardened their hearts and they therefore resisted, resisted the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like for us? Well, resisting the Holy Spirit is when you're self-willed. No, I want to do what I want to do. When you're self-sufficient, you think you can do it all in your own strength. You think, well, I don't really need God. Hardening our hearts, I mentioned. Not prepared to change, not teachable. Well, that doesn't quite sit with my doctrine. No, no. Listen, be prepared. We don't know everything. We haven't arrived. We haven't got revelation of all truth yet. We need to have teachable hearts. Being teachable. Okay, all these things, if we don't do them, we're resisting the Holy Spirit. Pride, thinking that we don't need Him, that we know better, relying on our own smarts and abilities. This can be lead to resisting the Holy Spirit. So we can grieve Him, we can quench Him, we can resist Him. And there are significant consequences if we do this for long enough. And in 1 Timothy, we read how um, he was saying there, it talks about believers whose consciences have been seared. Have been seared. You know, like if you, your skin gets burned, the hot iron that it talks about in, in the scripture. And enough times then, there's no feeling in that area of your skin. Well, that's what he's talking about, our consciences. If we ignore and we sear our consciences enough time, then even when he's trying to convict us, because he's always trying to lead us in the right path, he never give up on us. But we're just so hardened we can no longer feel and be sensitive to his leading and his touch. And it goes, and, and it says there that, you know, that uh, at the end, some even abandoned the faith. And I've seen that, sadly. I've seen Christians that have resisted, and eventually they just fall away and go into a backslidden state. Very sad. Very sad. But we're not even talking about that extreme. We're talking about at the top end where we're staying filled and on power, and in power so we can do all the things that he's called us to do. Amen? Right. So, we want to do this. We need him too much. You know, Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples before, you know, because he knew what was going to happen. Um, and he said to them, look, it's going to actually be so much better for you that I go. They didn't want him to go. I mean, who would? But he said, it's going to be better for you if I go so that the Holy Spirit can come, that I can send him to you. John 16, 7 says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the help of the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go, I will send them to you. It will be good for you. In some translations it says it will be expedient, which means it's to your profit, to your benefit that I go. But if I don't go, the Holy Spirit cannot come, he was saying. He knew they needed him. That Jesus knew that we need the Holy Spirit because he needed him. He'd experienced it. He said, you're going to do what I'm going to do. Man, you need the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Spirit of glory, Spirit of miracles, Spirit of the breakthrough. Man, do we need Him. Jesus didn't do anything in His earthly ministry without the Holy Spirit. You know, He was totally empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He preached by the Holy Spirit. He healed by the Holy Spirit. He cast out demons by the Holy Spirit. He was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. He was seated at the right hand of the Father by the Holy Spirit. Right throughout, even from his, from his um, conception, the Holy Spirit at work in the life of Jesus. And Jesus says, this is the Holy Spirit that you need. Treasure him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus totally depended on the Holy Spirit. His whole public ministry came out from that time he was baptized by John. And from there on, he walked in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus know? What did he do to make it, the Holy Spirit so expressive, so prevalent, so powerfully operating in his life? What did the early church we read in the book of Acts? What did they know? What did they do to foster that? I see glimpses of it in my own life. I'm sure you're the same. We see it in the body of Christ. We see glimpses of it. 
where I don't see it consistently to the same level. That's what I believe God's wanting to do in this day. And we want to tap into it and be part of it. Hallelujah. Okay. This is not a conclusive list, but I've come up with four things that I, uh, I think are important to, uh, to maintain that, that place where the Holy Spirit can reside and live in our lives. The first one that attracts the uh, Holy Spirit is humility. A Holy Spirit is attracted to humility. James 4, 6 says this, The God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many humble people do we have here? Oh, trick question. Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> Think about that for a while. <laughs> Sorry, it's very naughty on me. Very naughty. It's always good to raise your hand when the pastor asks, all right? So very good on you. <laughs> but it was a trick question. <laughs> so Muhammad Ali says, it's very hard to be humble when you're as great as I am, you know? <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Humility. A holy humility attracts the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, last week's pastor spoke about uh, the Holy Spirit being depicted as a dove and, and coming upon Jesus when he was baptized. I want to look at that a little bit more, actually. Uh, it's just a, a wonderful picture. A wonderful picture. Let's look at what attracted the dove to the lamb. We'll look at this time from the book of John. And I'll read from John chapter 1, verses 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he may be revealed to Israel. Then, Israel, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. So we see here two symbols that John's used. One, the lamb, being Jesus. Two, the dove. This is where John was also first introducing Jesus to the masses, revealing who he was. And he made two analogies from the animal kingdom, didn't he? The lamb which was represented by Jesus, and the Holy Spirit represented by the dove. And the dove was attracted to the lamb nature of Jesus. This is the point. Okay, and he settled on him. Not only settled, he remained. So what is the nature of a lamb? Well, a lamb, as we know, is one of the most harmless, gentle, peaceful animals there is. Probably the key word to describe a lamb would be meekness we could also term that humility in a, in, a, in a human term and Jesus said it himself didn't he in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says but I am a gentle and humble in heart so it's the same today if we want the dove to come and remain on our lives we need to be like a lamb in nature the dove is, the dove is remember gentle peaceful and he won't stay if the conditions aren't right. Pastor talked about this last week. He's not attracted to arrogance. Not attracted to self-seeking, boastfulness or aggressiveness. He's looking for meekness and a life sacrificed and laid down for God. The natural, the dove, remember, is a, a very shy bird. And can be easily scared away. And that's... Somewhat true of the Holy Spirit in a spiritual sense. I remember when I was, as I say, a new Christian, and I was just listening to so much teaching and reading so much. I used to listen to a lot after, after the great man of God, great teacher, a man, Derek Prince. And uh, something he said to me way back then, just some things really just stick with you. And he said, you know, the Holy Spirit is a real gentleman. He won't stay where he's not welcome, where he's not wanted. He'll go. Won't make a fuss. He's a real gentleman. And it's like a dove. He will fly away. The marvelous thing about Jesus is though he never, ever scared off the dove. And that's the key for us. His entire ministry, he never once did one thing that drove the Holy Spirit away. He didn't grieve. He didn't quench. He never resisted the Holy Spirit. And so when the 
dove cannot find, the Holy Spirit cannot find humility, a lamb nature. He cannot abide. Very important, church. Very important, church. So we need to walk in humility, to cultivate that character in our lives. This is something we've got to do for ourselves. The Bible says many, many times, humble yourself. Something we need to do in our lives, to develop that character trait in our lives. And by the way here, I'm not talking about timidity. I'm not talking about timidity. The Holy Spirit comes in your life. It's going to make you bold, like I was talking about in the pub before. It makes you very bold. It's a good thing. And so let's not get confused that it's a weakness. It's not. It's not. Hum, hum, humbling ourselves, humility is really just believing what God says about us. That's really what humility is. It doesn't exalt ourselves more than what we are. It acknowledges our reliance on him. But we are new creations. And the whole power of God is in us. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. See, that's not boasting. That's humility. Saying what God says about us. You know, Moses. Look at what Moses did. Read after the life of Moses. You know what the Bible says about Moses? He was the most humble man that ever lived. I read Numbers 12, 3. It says, now Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else who had ever lived on the face of the earth. Now that was back then. He's probably not the most humble man then. I think there's one more man. I think Howard's more humble, eh? <laughs> I think he even looks like Moses. <laughs> Sorry. God, when I was preparing for this, um, I sort of felt the Holy Spirit come, said, come and tease Howard about that one. <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs> No, he's a very humble, very humble man. And so Moses, but he did great powerful things. So we're not talking about timidity. Okay, so humility, humbling ourselves, very important to attract the Holy Spirit. Second thing is hunger. 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 A hunger that attracts God's presence. You know, he promised to fill those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We read this in Matthew 5 and, uh, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There is something about a hungry and a thirsty heart that will cause God to pour out his glory upon us. In Deuteronomy 4.29, we read it this way. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. In Isaiah 26, 9, my soul yearns for you in the night, and in the morning my spirit longs for you. This means, for me, this is very real. As I say, I, I'm sort of giving myself a bit of a slap here, because, you know, waking up in the middle of the morning and thinking, wow, it's a new day. Holy Spirit, thank you. Oh, that you're with me again today. The devil start trembling. Watch out, world, here I come. I'm not doing it in my own strength. I've got God with me. From the morning and then during the day, you're just fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. And when night time's gone, you lay your head on your pillow and you go to sleep and you just start thinking and talking to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you that you've been with me, that you never leave me or forsake me. Just praising him in your mind as you're just drifting off to sleep. Oh, thank you, Lord, for a nice dream tonight. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, he speaks to us in dreams and in visions. I ask for those things. My soul yearns for you. From the night and in the morning, my spirit longs for you. See, God has reserved the fullness for those that are hungry. For those that are hungry. You, look, here's, here's, a, here's a point. You will hardly ever, you've got to get this, you will hardly ever receive a level of God's presence that you're not hungry for. I'll say that again. You will hardly ever receive a level of God's presence that you're not hungry for. What is spiritual hunger? Well, it's not complicated. Like natural hunger, okay? We understand um, that um, when we get hungry, our body, first of all, senses the need for food, doesn't it? And uh, sends some signals to our brain. There are two parts. It senses the needs and then desire. It steps in. Okay, well, what do I feel like? What do I feel like? What, are, what, do I, um, what food do I desire? What is the best food for me right now? So spiritual hunger operates the same way. First of all, our spirit recognizes our need for God. In fact, our spirit is wired this way. Our spirit, we're one spirit with the Lord. Our, our spirit is wired to desire to need God. The problem is our flesh gets in the way. Okay? And the trouble is when we get that desire, sometimes we can run off and do this and that and be busy, religious activity, but that's like the junk food. We want to seek God. We want to actually tap in to the Holy Spirit himself and what he's saying. See, when we genuinely start seeking God, 
and our spirit then desires and craves for more of God. That's the track we want to be on. That's the track we want to be on. Proverbs 8, 17 says this, I love those who love me and those who seek me will find me. Seek and you will find. Spend time with him, talking with him, meditating, praying. James 4, 8 says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. This tells me here an effort needs to be made as well. It just doesn't happen. We've got to seek after him. We've got to draw near. There's an effort required here. We can't be passive. We've got to desire. We've got to seek. We've got to expect. We've got to make the effort. Hungry for God. For me, I experienced this. I, I, as I say, going back to those early days of my salvation, I was just so hungry to know more about God. He, he'd been such a mystery to me. And I, I found this God, but I, I just, you know, I still didn't understand. I'm starting to read. I'm starting to learn. And I used to do lunch times. I used to go to a quiet place, down the, down the, uh, take the car. I worked in central Wellington at the time. And I'd just nip out. And I'd go down to the south coast and look out over the Cook Strait and just spend time with God there. Saying, God, not praying, but just talking with him, maybe listening to a tape and uh, just, um, you know, and um, just wanting to know more about God and talking to him like a friend. And, uh, and I had those times, I was just hungry. I was so, so hungry. And uh, during those times, the revelation I got, the supernatural experiences that I had, um, you know, I, I don't experience them as much today. And I'm saying, well, Peter, you know, as I say, I'm not, backslidden, I'm not backslidden, but I still love the Lord. But I just, you know, I've got complacent. I've, got, I've settled for a comfortable Christian life. And that's good. God wants us to be comfortable and all that. But there's something more. I want to be walking and living in the power. And I think that's what God wants for his church. But we have to make an effort. And I remember those times I used to go away, spend time with the Lord. And I did this for probably at least a year, maybe longer, two years. And then, you know, I got busy and I guess the, the allure of it. Was, wasn't as much. I don't know what, what happened really, but um, all I know is at those times, I sensed his presence. I encountered, I heard his voice like never, never before. So his presence and his power for those who desire and long after him. Number three, we need to honor the Holy Spirit. Honor means to Highly respect or esteem. 1 Samuel 2.30 says this. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. See, honor is another significant key to hosting the glory of God in our lives. Whatever we honor, we attract to ourselves. This is a principle. Whatever we honor, we attract to ourselves. Okay? When you honor God's presence, he will draw near to you. When you honor his presence... He will honor you with his presence. When you honor the gifts of the Holy Spirit and seek after them and honor them and believe in them, have faith towards them, you're more likely to receive them. When you honor an anointed person, you'll receive the anointing and the gift on their life. So when pastor preaches, we're honoring the man of God because we want to receive from him. We don't honor, you're less likely to receive. You're less likely to receive. Honor. We receive from that which we honor. And also, the Holy Spirit is just that. He is holy. Holy Spirit. It's not just the Spirit of God. He is the Holy Spirit. And holy means that. You know, it's often been said that, um, that uh, there's no power without purity. And uh, he can't stay if we're living a sinful life or in a, in a, in a, in continuing to sin. Now, we, we all sin from time to time. But we've got our great insurance policy, our guaranteed escape clause, 1 John 1.9. 1, it said, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we keep short accounts and deal with it. The blood covers us. There's no problem there. See, that 1 John 1.9 1, is not for unbelievers. That was for believers. That was written. Okay. So, he cannot stay if we sin. The power is only available to pure vessels. Hebrews 12, 14 puts it like this. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And how do we honor then? Once again, I want to make this practical. I talk about some of these principles in the spiritual, but what do we do in our day-to-day life to honor the Lord? The most important thing to honor the Lord is obedience. 
is obedience. And the reverse of that, of course, is we dishonor him when we're disobedient. Actually, disobedient, let's call it what it is, it's sin. It's sin. So don't think we can ignore the Holy Spirit and get away with it. As I say, our salvation's secured. He'll never leave us or forsake us, but the act of presence. He's holy. And he wants to work through holy and pure vessels. So sin will cause a problem every time. David knew this so well, didn't he? You read with his account of uh, adultery with Bathsheba. He'd done something really bad. The prophet Nathan talked to him. He was highly convicted. He knew he was in big, big trouble. And he's crying. You read it in the Psalms, right throughout the Psalms, a number of chapters on it, where he's crying out to God. He's saying, oh man, I have stuffed up big time here. I'm in huge trouble. And look at this, this plea in uh, Psalm 51, verses 10 and 11. He's crying out to God, God, oh, he asked for forgiveness. He'd been repenting. And he said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Sin was the problem. He knew it. He knew it was a huge issue. And he was desperate to keep the Holy Spirit active in his life. God had anointed him. The Holy Spirit was with him. Couldn't have done all he, all he, all he did without it. And he knew that. He knew he was nothing. Nothing. God took him from a shepherd boy, remember? All the battles with Saul, all the way through. God, David had saw God's power and hand on his life. He knew he was nothing without the Holy Spirit. So he's crying out to God here, desperate. Well, sometimes we need to be desperate. But the point is, he knew that the sin was going to be a huge issue. And he's trying to deal with it here. And he repented and God restored him and, and so on, and which he will do with all of us. Sin's not a problem. Jesus has dealt with it. But let's not think we can sin and get away with it. We need to, we need to keep clean hearts and pure hearts before the Lord. When we sin, we're grieving Quenching and resisting the Holy Spirit. Now, he'll always try and lead us back on track and convict us. But if we override that conviction and continue to resist him, he will withdraw and remove himself from us. Placing ourselves in the wrong environment, in the wrong atmospheres, can also have a significant impact. Uh, Fergus uh, talks a lot about this. If you've listened to his ministry here over the years, he talks about creating atmospheres and environments. Now, um, you know, they can have a significant significant impact on, on, on things because, you know, I know, um, I mean, that's, that's why I think in church we feel his presence here so much more than perhaps elsewhere. Why? Because here he's worshipped, he's honoured, okay? He's desired here. This attracts him. So we feel an anointing in this place because it's a, it's a sanctuary in a way. I, uh, I noticed this when I've been away for some time. So if I've been a, a away, maybe it might just be a long weekend, or I've been in a very secular environment. There's been no sort of uh, Christian activity. I've been in a very secular environment, even particularly when um, last time when we came back from, um, from India, where there's a lot of idolatry. You're in very oppressive, you know, demonic environments. You're not sensing the presence of God there, I tell you, like you do here. We are so privileged and so blessed. Things that you even take for granted. You go into one of those environments, you'll think, ooh, yeah, what's going on here? Well, it's, it's only because you're comparing it to what you've received here. Some people there, they don't even know any difference. But we do. Because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good as we sang before. And we know. And so environments are, are very important. And, um, and environments where he's desired and worshipped and, and honoured, that attracts him. And uh, we need to be... Um, we were called to, of course, change atmosphere so we can go anywhere carrying the power of God. But we need to be careful. Sometimes, if you're not prayed up in the right place, there are some environments you shouldn't go to. You, you're not, you know, remember the seven sons of Sceva? We don't want to be like them. We want to make sure that we're carrying the anointing and the power and we're going where God sends us to. There are some places that it just you're not ready for yet. Okay? So we need to be wise about these things, about environments. They can affect us. But anyway, an environment where he's welcome and is desired and worshipped and honoured, that's, you're going to see his, feel his presence a lot easier. And that's why it's good to be at church on a Sunday. We come for a, to celebrate. That's what we call a celebration service. Honor the Holy Spirit. You know, it's often said that, um, or somebody said, <laughs> I'm not often said, but it said, he will not, God does not go where he's tolerated. He goes where he's celebrated. He goes where he's celebrated. And that's, of course, we call this the celebration service. And that's number four is worship. 
very much connected with honor. Worship attracts the Holy Spirit. We celebrate him. Uh, as I said at the, the ICFM conference, we had Pastor Tom Ingalls uh, minister to us on this subject. If you haven't got the, uh, weren't there, get the downloads. and um, Just a wonderful revelation this man carries on, on, on praise, thanksgiving, and worship uh, and uh, what it can do in a believer's life if we really understand the concepts. Uh, actually, Pastor Tom, for, you, for those of you who have been here for a while, you remember he did, wrote the Psalmody course. Well, he's got an updated version of that. And I think, church, that we're going to be, before much longer, perhaps even this year, we're going to be introducing that to you and we'll be doing that as a study, uh, as a church together, the Psalmody. Just wonderful, wonderful material on worship. Um, and Pastor Tom said this. He said this. This is a key, key principle he said about worship. Worship is always a movement towards God. Okay? It's always a movement towards God. Now, he's never going to withdraw from us. If we move closer to God, he's here, and we're moving closer. Well, we're getting closer, aren't we? The closer we are, the more the anointing, the more the power, the more presence, the more intimacy. That's the key. That's what worship does. You know, God was drawn to David, wasn't he, because of his worship. He was worshiping, worshiping. David was a key worshiper, you see, in the whole of the, the, the Bible. One of the key people, the key people who had the revelation on, on what worship was all about. We draw near to him. What do we do? We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We come into his courts with praise. We're making an effort. We're approaching him. We're drawing near to him. Worship. Psalm 22, 3 says he inhabits the praises of his people. And worship, of course, is a combination. Worship, actually, if you think about it, we're humbling ourselves before God. It shows that we're hungry for God. And obviously, we're honoring God. So worship brings it all together. Worship is one of the most powerful things. Look, the, the humility, humbling yourself, honoring God, being hungry, are things you've got to do for yourself. But when we worship, we can do that together. And it's marvelous. I'll just ask the worship team to come up again now. And let's just uh, finish once again, uh, just, with, just inviting. And I'd ask you to do this wherever, you, wherever you're at with your relationship with the Lord at the moment. We just want to take a step closer today. We want to understand and feel his power and his presence. Also, I can't let this go by not mentioning the gift of tongues. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Praying in tongues, we're speaking the Holy Spirit's language. We're speaking the Holy Spirit's language when we're praying in tongues, when we're worshiping in tongues. We're, we're activating. We're, acti we're magnifying God. We don't know what we're saying, but we're always praying the perfect will of God. So when we're praying in tongues, we're magnifying God. And it connects us better with his presence. I've said this many a time. I've heard from God more during times of worship than any other time. It might be different for you. But worship is just so significant. So significant. Also, the other thing that worship does, it just clears us. Clears our heart, minds as well. As our hearts from the demonic interference. From the outside distractions of, of our world and our flesh. It puts that whole thing down and it's just all focused on him. Very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The Holy Spirit comes and remains on us when we remain humble in our attitudes and we desire him and seek after him and where he's honored and where he's worshipped.